Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. My very special guest tonight is back after an 18-year absence from the recording studio. Marina Pryor is singing so many of the songs that made her what she is today. She's had great success on stage in musicals, ranging from Pirates to Phantom, Les Mis and many, many more. She has four Mo Awards the Advance Australia Award, and has been inducted into the honoured list of Australia's 100 Entertainers of the Century. And it's a great treat that she's joining us now on Open House for a chat and a song from her new album. Marina, welcome. Thank you very much. It's great to see you. Thank you so much for coming in. You've had this 18-year absence from recording. Mm. I'm sure you haven't been unoccupied, though. No, (laughs) no. I've, uh, for the last... Well, I guess it's almost two decades. I've been working in music theatre almost back to back, just sort of show after show after show. Um, I've done straight plays, plus in the last 18 years I've done a lot of the bigger musicals like Guys and Dolls, Mary Poppins, Showboat, you know, you name it, I've done it, I think. (laughs) And the fans have been waiting a long time for this. Well, yes, and, uh, you know, I haven't had the creative space and even literally the time. I've got children. When you're working in the theatre, it's very hard to actually find the space. And I really was determined that the next album that I made was going to be very much something organic from me that I had produced and uh, was very involved in and was a very personal sort of snapshot of where I'm at and something different than a music theatre album. I had no desire to go back and do what I'd already done. I wanted to, you know, reinvent and evolve as an artist. As I said, these songs that you've recorded on both sides now, the CD, some of the songs that made you what you are today, what are some of the most memorable from that time of your life and why are they so memorable, so important for you? Well, when I was a young girl, I was about eight or nine, I got a guitar for my birthday and I had guitar lessons, started to learn some songs and the songs that I could get my hands on were Simon and Garfunkel, Don McLean and Joni Mitchell, who I absolutely fell in love with, Carol King, James Taylor. The singer-songwriter era was at an absolute peak in the 70s and early 80s. And they're the songs that really essentially taught me to be a singer. And it was through the beautiful poetry that I got to sing with beautiful music that was written for a real singer's voice that um, that's really how I became a singer. And I used to busk and I used to play in acoustic venues um, during university to support myself. And so... It's always been a huge part of me as a singer um, developmentally. And even when I do symphonic concerts, I will often do an unplugged set in the middle of it where it's just this sort of um, acoustic folk pop. The song choices were easy. It was easy choosing the songs. The hardest thing was deciding which ones not to put on because there's so many beautiful songs. Can you take us to that first busk in Melbourne? How old were you? How daunting was that? I was 18 years old. I was studying music at uni. I'd been a waitress and I'd got the sack because I was absolutely hopeless. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of friends were had part-time work. Did you drop things? Did yeah, you? I, I just was... <laughs> I was no good. I'm better at sitting in restaurants and being served rather than serving people, I've learned. There's a bit of that in all of us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm really good at doing that. Yes. Um, so I remember going into the Burke Street Mall, opening my guitar case. I remember that first moment with trams going past me and shoppers going past me. I was outside Maya, the Maya store, and uh, I remember that first moment thinking... <gasps> 
Here I go. It's I'm just going to start singing in the middle of the street. And uh, But, you know, I gathered a crowd pretty quick. And I think maybe because I had the pure sort of soprano high sound and there was a lot of Bob Dylan-esque kind of hippies around. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> the growling. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Sort of droney people. And I think maybe yeah. I stood out a bit and could compete with the trams. There's yeah. something about musical memory, mm. isn't there? And yeah. especially that time of mm. late teenager. It's such a formative part of our lives. What yeah. is it about that musical memory, do you think? I think when you're at that age, you're starting to experience life and love and loss for the first time. And that's what great singer-songwriter songs are all about, that human experience. And I think you start to relate to it. You start to relate to the emotional journey that songs take you on. These songs that I've chosen for this album were very much the soundtrack to my life experience at that time. And they expressed the inner kind of thoughts and feelings that I had as a young adult and you know they've carried me through really yes do you see it as a gift from god because to stay alive we don't need music but mm. i can hardly imagine life without us oh absolutely i think you know and i think i was totally born to be a singer i could yeah. sing as soon as i could speak it wasn't something i learnt and it wasn't something i decided to do it's just who I am. I am a singer. It's not a job. It's who I am. It's very much part of my whole makeup. And I think, you know, it's either given to you or not. Can yeah. I talk to you about your journey of faith? It mm -hmm. began early, like so many of us, mm -hmm. in Sunday school. Parents shipped <laughs> yeah. us off to Sunday school. Yeah. But like so many, that was only for a time, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, it ceased to particularly feel relevant to me. I think. And then I kind of, as I got old, actually, after I had children, I started, I think we all start to uh, search spiritually more, perhaps when we become parents and we look at, we just sort of start looking at our mortality yes. and the concept of uh, eternal concepts and things and, and, you know, life going on. And I think that that's when I really, you know, rediscovered a spirituality, very much so. There was one particular man who brought you back, wasn't it? Oh, it was. Yeah. There was a, a, a great guy who uh, called David Rate who worked for um, a youth ministry and he uh, is an amazing man and a psychologist and very influential people you know there's been uh, I've had amazing kind of mentors placed into my life throughout my life that have been very formulative for me what was it about him or what he was he was just you? incredibly together <laughs> It's quite unusual, isn't it? <laughs> Fancy. It is. Yeah, yes. It is. Yes. Not many people, not many adults are really together, have it together. And he had it together and he was happy. And uh, he was happy, not circumstantially, but his happiness came from a peace within, you know, and uh, I craved that. That he was quite normal with it? Completely normal. Yeah. Yeah, he wasn't wacky. <laughs> <laughs> How good. I'm sure it's been an important thing for you to have mm. since then, Yeah. amidst all the highs and lows and accolades. Of this business? Oh, look, very much so. I think, you know, this industry, I think any life situation, you know, we're so status-driven and success-driven and uh, we define success uh, monetarily and or in terms of popularity and that's heightened when you're a performer because you just, you know, everything is judged on how you perform and if you've got it and if you haven't got it and it's very easy to just be caught up in that whole ego thing and I think that uh, a faith or a, a spirituality and, you know, people find it, you know, all in all walks of life, in all different sorts of ways. I think it gives an inner equilibrium yeah. and continuity that I think if you're relying on outside favor, 
you're going to end up, especially as a performer, pretty messed up because one minute you're up, the next minute you're down. Yes. One minute you're the top of the tree, the next minute nobody wants to employ you. You know, that's the reality. And I think that there comes a point where everybody needs an inner strength. And a sense of a bigger picture. Absolutely. Yeah. A bigger a bigger picture than just here and now. I think otherwise, I think that's why so many performers do burn out and, you know, fall off the pedestal that they're put on, often completely unrealistically. It can be a very perilous industry in that way. I'm sure. <laughs> I know a bit about this in this business. Yeah. You mentioned your kids before. Mm. One of the reasons for your absence from the studio has been that you've been raising a family. That's right. Alongside all this career. Yes. Tell us a bit about them. I have beautiful children. I actually have three children and two stepchildren, so I have five. <laughs> uh, they're the reason, I always say to them, they're the reason I sing. They're because they give me such joy that I can't help but sing. My daughter is an aspiring actress and she's incredibly talented, not that I'm biased, of course. We'll give her a plug. Yeah. <laughs> she hasn't got anything coming up. <laughs> she's okay. still at school. Yeah, and I have a middle son who has just got it in terms of uh, music. He can hear a song on the radio and he walks straight over to the piano and he can play it. He can play anything and he can accompany me and he's only 11 but he's oh good grief. yeah he's a bit of a prodigious talent musically i'm very careful not to push him i just let him enjoy it i don't ever try to push him but i think he's going to be a performer i think he's going to be a musician somehow and the prospect of that does what to you terrifies me yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it terrifies and my daughter who wants to be an actress yes it does but then i far be it from me to dissuade them from following their dreams. What terrifies you about that? The fact that they're going to face rejection. As an artist, it's not like you can, I would imagine, this is someone who's never worked in a nine to five office job in her life, but I could imagine that you can type up a report or listen to me, I don't even know what people do in offices. <laughs> oh, few, few reports doing the rest. You know, yeah, yeah. you can do something and then you can present it, but it's actually not your heart and soul and the very essence of you. You can walk away and go, well, there's my work. Now I'll go home to my real life. But as an artist, you know, with this album, this is an outpouring of the essence of me. Yes. Uh, and so if it's rejected, it's much more personal. And uh, I understand how that can rock you and rock your world. And being a mother, I'm a lioness. You know, I want to protect my children at all costs. But, of course, you can't. Yeah. You have to release them into the world. And this is a very much a new direction for me or a reclaiming of just my solo artist status rather than the gruelling eight shows a week, being uh, going to the factory, as we call it, in musical theatre, yes. you know. And that means that I have more flexibility too as a mum. That's yeah. really important to me to be with my kids, obviously. Having heard both sides now, I'm sure there'll be not a lot of rejection in this, I'll tell you. <laughs> on Open House, we're with Marina Pryor. Marina, in a few weeks' time on Open House, we're talking to Deborah Byrne from Young Talent Time yeah. fame and lots else. You had quite a significant impact on her life. She speaks about that. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, look, I've known Deb since Cats, which was like the original Cats in 19... 54, I feel like, but it's like <laughs> 1986, I think it was. Yeah. I'm not speaking out of turn to say that she's had quite a public struggle with an abusive childhood and subsequent substance abuse and stuff like that. And uh, I think in a similar way, I'm not, I'm very much not a preachy person at all, but I think maybe she looked at me the way that I looked at somebody who was very influential in my life and thought, how come you've got it together? Yes. <laughs> and so, but, you know, she's uh, she's an extraordinarily resilient and strong 
woman an amazing talent and I think that she's really coming into her own as a person and as an artist right now. I think she's quite extraordinary. She speaks very powerfully of the impact on her life from you. When you see someone like that and you have the degree of equilibrium that your faith gives you, do you just not yearn for that, for people like Deborah? Absolutely. But I also know that everyone, and I've learned, you know, you can't enforce yourself or your beliefs on anyone. You can't live someone else's life for them. They've got to own it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I've learned that as I've become older too. I know it's hard to believe that I am actually older, but I... (laughs) If you're singing in 1954... (laughs) I really wasn't, listeners. (laughs) So both sides now. Give us a sketch of the kind of songs and the kind of artists especially who are Um, represented there. Well, they're artists that had a huge impact on me. Uh, So there's Kate Bush, who I absolutely fell in love with as an impressionable young girl. And I think I found that there was a pop singer who wasn't blonde and rock and roll-y. There was like, oh, wow, she's she's a soprano. She's got dark hair. She's not a surfy chick. Hang on. You know, I was in the 70s. <laughs> Suddenly she, she really inspired me hugely. And uh, I do The Man with the Child in His Eyes. I do ABBA. I do an S- uh, a version of SOS that I'm really proud of. It's very ethereal, almost with an Enya kind yeah. of style to it. And that's testament to the great songwriting of Benny and Bjorn from ABBA that you can take a song and make it your own and change it because it's essentially such a beautiful, beautiful piece. Then there's Love the One You're With. Love the One You're I With. Love that. Isn't it just, <laughs> I know, that's like the anthem of the 70s. It's giving too much away yeah. <laughs> about both of us. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. Um, and that was just, I love that because it's, it's uh, rocky and raunchy and really fun. I loved doing Midnight at the Oasis, Maria yeah. Maldar. There was a beautiful song Billy Field had uh, standing on the outside. You know, uh, you weren't in love with me. Yes. Blind Freddy, I think a lot of people refer to it as. But that was such a beautiful, sad song in the 80s. And I know that I kind of sat and with a you know glass of wine and cried over that song. <laughs> <laughs> Together with many others. Yeah, you know, like so. But all of them have a story. All of them are really beautiful, beautiful, melodic pieces. And all of them, I hope... Uh, my own take on them. I haven't tried to do a cover of anybody else's version. I've just sung, you know, the most beautiful songs in the world. I'm sure I think. <laughs> so many of your fans are going to be saying, thank you so much. It's about time too, after 18 years. It's been such a treat to see you and oh, meet you. you. Thank you so much for coming in. Could we finish with one of the songs from Both Sides Now? Yes, I'm going to sing live with my guitarist, David Cameron. We're going to do Scarborough Fair which was, of course, made famous by Simon and Garfunkel. Okay. Marina Pryor, thank you so much. Great to see you. This is Scarborough Fair. Marina Pryor and guitarist David Cameron. Are you going to Scarborough Was a true love of mine. 
We hope you enjoyed this open house podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.